worship this morning. Lord of mercy and compassion, be with us this day as we hear of the healing love of Jesus. Remind us that we are also recipients of his compassion and we are called to bring the same hope and love to others. Prepare us for service in his name. Amen. Our opening prayer this morning is a prayer of confession. Let us pray. Patient Lord God, you know us so well. You know we are fascinated by the idea of healing and can talk all day about the miracles done by you and recorded for our benefit. 
but we do not understand fully enough the compassion shown by Christ in his earthly life. In promising our faithfulness and witness, we often ask you for healing for ourselves, for things to get better for us in our home lives or work lives, and in other situations we find difficult for ourselves. But in our hearts, we have just not understood what it is really all about. Please forgive us, Lord, when we let greed or fear get in the way of understanding. Help us to know the transformational power of your love. Get us ready to be faithful witnesses to you in all that we say and do. It is in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. And now we pray the prayer our Lord himself taught us. Today we are using the modernised wording. We pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as in heaven. Give us today our daily bread. Forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. Do not bring us to the time of trial, but deliver us from evil. For the kingdom, the power and the glory are yours now and forever. Amen. When Jesus had again crossed over by boat to the other side of the lake, a large crowd gathered around him while he was by the lake. Then one of the synagogue leaders, named Jairus, came, and when he saw Jesus, he fell at his feet. He pleaded earnestly with him, My little daughter is dying. Please, come and put your hands on her so that she will be healed and live. So Jesus went with him. A large crowd followed and pressed around him. And a woman who was there had been subject to bleeding for 12 years. She'd suffered a great deal under the care of many doctors and had spent all that she had. Yet, instead of getting better, she grew worse. When she heard about Jesus, she came up behind him in the crowd and touched his cloak because she thought if I just touch his clothes I will be healed immediately her bleeding stopped and she felt in her body that she was freed from suffering at once Jesus realized that power had gone out from him he turned around in the crowd and asked who touched my clothes you, you see the sorry you see the people crowding against you, the disciples answered, and yet you can ask who touched me? But Jesus kept looking around to see who had done it. And then the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came and fell at his feet, and trembling with fear, told him the whole truth. He said to her, 
daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace and be freed from suffering. While Jesus was still speaking, some people came from the house of Jairus, the synagogue leader. Your daughter is dead, they said. Why bother the teacher anymore? Overhearing what they said, Jesus told him, Don't be afraid. Just believe. He did not let anyone follow him except Peter, James and John, the brother of James. When they came to the home of the synagogue leader, Jesus saw a commotion with people crying and wailing loudly. He went in and said to them, Why all this commotion and wailing? The child is not dead, but asleep. But they laughed at him. After he put them all out, he took the child's father and mother and the disciples who were with him and went in where the child was. He took her by the hand and said to her, Talitha kum, which means, little girl, I say to you, get up. Immediately the girl stood up and began to walk around. She was 12 years old. At this, they were completely astonished. He gave strict orders not to let anyone know about this and told them to give her something to eat. These two stories teach us two fundamentals about faith. First, faith persists and makes its way. And second, faith does not give up things for dead. Jesus and his apostles sailed the six miles across the lake to the western side and returned to Capernaum. When they arrived, a large crowd gathered around Jesus. Everybody wanted to be about Jesus because of his ability to heal. Remember, this is the ancient world. There are no hospitals, no effective medical care, no antibiotics. Infection was rampant. Many people were suffering and Jesus offered a great medical plan. He provided instant and complete healing for free. The Bible tells us Jesus healed everyone in a split second. Jesus gave instant, complete and total healing. When they returned to the shore of Capernaum, there were 10,000 or more people waiting for him, many wanting to be healed by him. And in the midst of that crowd, there were two particular people looking for healing. One was rich, the other poor. One was respected in society, the other was rejected by society. One was honoured in the community, the other was shamed in the community. One led the local synagogues, the other was banned from the local synagogue. One had a 12-year-old daughter dying and the other was a middle-aged woman that had spent the last 12 years as the walking dead because of her suffering. The man, whose name was Jarius, was one of the most respected men in Capernaum. He was the epitome of the Capernaum religious establishment. What did Jarius know about Jesus? Well, I think he knew quite a lot. Earlier in Mark, we learned that the Apostle Peter's house was just a two-minute walk from the synagogue. Jarius would have heard of Jesus healing Peter's mother-in-law, the paralytic that came through the Peter's roof. 
the countless other people that came to Peter's house from the community. Jarius would not just have heard about Jesus's healings, but like, most likely he'd witnessed them firsthand. He probably was in the synagogue when Jesus healed the man with the crippled hand. And he was probably in the room when Jesus exposed an undercover demon working in a man that attended that synagogue. Jarius knew that going to ask Jesus to help him for his daughter's healing would clearly leave him out of step with the other religious leaders in his community. And for that, he could pay a steep price. It's interesting to notice that Jarius fell in desperation at the feet of Jesus. And this posture shows his true humility amidst his despair. Implore earnestly means to beg. This man, who was one of the most respected leaders in Capernaum, was on his knees begging Jesus to come and heal his daughter. The text says that she's on the point of dying. And here, Jairus was the father who desperately loved his daughter. He was a father who would gladly have died in the place of his daughter. And in Luke, it tells us that she was his only child. Let me open the window of Jairus's heart a little wider. His daughter was 12. In Jewish society, that would be the age she was preparing for marriage. It would be the age she would become an adult. It was the time when she would begin the process of becoming a wife and a mother. This was the most anticipated time in a young girl's life, a time that should be filled with joy. While friends of Jarius's family were preparing for weddings, he was preparing for the funeral of his only child from a slow and painful death. Jesus, in the sea of people all demanding his attention, had compassion for Jarius and his daughter. He began following Jarius through the crowd to his house to heal her. Can you imagine the exhilaration in Jarius's heart? Can you imagine the ray of hope that dawned in his life? Jesus is coming to my house to heal my daughter. There is hope. When Jesus left for Jairus' house, everyone was pressing in to touch him. And Jesus was in the vice grip of human bodies, all pressing in onto it, almost making impossible any progress. Almost like an ambulance leaving the scene of an accident, but getting stuck in rush hour traffic. Can you imagine Jairus' heart? Come on, let us through, get out of the way. My daughter is about to die. Jesus needs to get to my house. Jesus and Jarius were stuck in a human gridlock when time was of the essence. We're going to pause for a moment so that we can reflect on Jarius's story.
tells us our next story. A woman had a female bleeding problem for 12 years. We do not know what caused her bleeding. All we know is she had a constant loss of blood. This was embarrassing. Worse than embarrassing. She suffered from anemia. This condition left her exhausted for a dozen years. There was more trouble with her condition than just embarrassment and weakness. In the Old Testament law, passages such as Leviticus 12, 3 to 8 and Leviticus 15, 19 to 27, tell us a woman was considered ceremonial unclean for seven days after she had been bleeding. So she was barred from the temple and from touching others for a week. This woman was not in a state of uncleanliness for a week, but for 12 years. She was not able to attend the temple or synagogue for worship. She was lonely, isolated and an outcast. If she had a husband, she was not allowed to touch him, touch her children or touch her friends, or she would make them unclean and everyone avoided her like the plague. She had gone to doctors for healing and ended up suffering more from the cures the doctors tried than the disease. And Mark says that she went to many doctors. She'd spent all her money she had on the doctors in desperate attempts to get better, but she just grew worse. And in desperation, she heard reports of Jesus's healing power and she believed them. She had strong faith in Jesus's ability to cure her. But to avoid the shame of public embarrassment because of her condition, she snuck up to Jesus in the crowd. I imagine she had a hood over her face to be as incognito as possible. Because everyone she touched in the crowd, she would unwittingly make unclean. In the sea of humanity, all reaching for Jesus, the crowds part and she can see the break that she needs. She stretches out her arm and reaches through the crowd to touch Jesus's clothing. In Mark 3 verse 10, we learn all who touch Jesus are instantly and completely healed. And she knew this. As soon as she touched that tassel, instantly, 12 years of suffering stopped. She was healed. In this crowd of people where everybody was pressing in on Jesus and touching him, Jesus stopped and said, who touched me? I love the way the disciples react. They say, you see the crowds pressing into you and yet you ask, who touched you? Jesus, everybody is touching you. But Jesus is very serious about finding this woman. He stopped in the middle of the crowd and kept looking for her. I think he knew who touched him and he was trying to draw her out. I think that Jesus didn't just want to heal her physically, but he loved her so much, he wanted to heal her socially and restore her respect in society. Jesus needed to talk with her and publicly affirm her to do that. This woman could no longer remain anonymous. She came in fear and trembling and fell before Jesus. What kind of fear was this? Everyone for the last 12 years of her life had rejected and despised her. Was she afraid of the way Jesus might treat her? Would he despise her like everyone else? It says that in trembling and fear, she fell down before him and told him the whole truth. And she could just not stop talking. 
Remember what was happening in the background with Jarius and his daughter who was knocking on death's door. Can you imagine how Jarius felt as this nameless and despised woman droned on and on telling her life story as Jesus patiently listened? This woman was afraid of what people thought of her. She was afraid of what Jesus thought of her and Jesus loved her. Jesus healed her. Jesus restored her reputation publicly. And Jesus calls her a daughter, a real term of endearment. He also told her it was not the touch of his tassel that healed her, but her faith in him that made her well. God's saving power was displayed because of her faith in him. I am sure the entire time this was taking place, Jarius was in a panic. The delay of the crowds, the woman proved deadly and messengers came to tell Jarius of his daughter's death. Can you imagine the way Jarius felt in that moment? Can you feel the way his heart melted in his chest and the tears began to flow down his cheeks? Stop fearing, Jesus said. Keep believing and she will be made well. Remember that insignificant woman with the incurable bleeding disease? When she placed her faith and trust completely in me, she was cured. Jarius, I'm asking you to do the same. Place your complete faith and trust in me and your daughter will be made well, even though she is dead. I think the discussion Jesus had with the woman took a lot longer than we realise. Jesus, Jarius and three of the disciples made their way through the crowd to Jairus's home and when they arrived the funeral was already in full swing. Weepers, wailers, flute players had already assembled. In Matthew it tells us the whole house was a noisy disarray of crying and chaos. Jesus said, why are you crying? The girl is not dead, she is just asleep. And what happens next was amazing. Mark preserved the original Aramaic words Jesus used based on the eyewitness account of Peter. Jesus got on his knees, reached over, took her hand and said to her, Talitha kum. Talitha means little lamb. Instantly, her spirit returned and she hops out of bed like nothing had happened, as if she'd just woken up from an afternoon nap. The Bible says Jarius, his wife and the disciples were completely overwhelmed and amazed. Jesus instantly transformed their moment of greatest grief into indescribable joy. Jesus's power was combined with an incredible compassion for people in their time of need. Jesus did not just heal the bleeding woman, but he took the time to restore her socially. He took the time to hear her story he spoke to her with tenderness and compassion. When Jesus raised Jairus' daughter from the dead, he didn't do it impersonally from a distance, but with the gentle touch of his hand and all the love and care of a father waking up his daughter. Jesus does not just have more than enough power to meet every challenge we face, but he has incredible compassion and care for us in our times of need. Faith in Christ unleashes the transforming power of Christ. And this is the message of the Mark and Sandwich. Mark puts two stories together to make one point. The sick woman came to Jesus with faith that he could make her well when nobody else could make her well. 
She had confidence. Jesus could cure her when nobody else could. Jesus said it was her faith, not the touch of her tassel, that unleashed his power and made her well. In a similar way, when Jairus' daughter died, Jesus told Jairus to place his complete faith and trust in him, and his daughter would be made well, even if it meant raising her from the dead. Their stories are similar, but in many ways they are different. But what brought them together was they were both beyond hope. So in faith and desperation, they turned to Jesus in their times of need. When we place our complete faith and trust in Jesus today, how does he release his amazing power in our lives? That same mighty power that raised Christ from the dead is at work in the lives of those who place their faith in Jesus today. Christ's amazing power literally makes us into new creations from the inside out. My friends, the amazing power of Christ is not just something of the past, it's available today. When we place our complete faith and trust in him, he pays for our sin. The amazing power of Jesus that we see in Mark 5 is still at work today. Praise be. Thanks be to God. Amen. God of the universe, thank you that your promises are sure. You are faithful. I can rely on you. Your word says that we find joy in offering our time, talents and money to meet the needs of others. Help us to give freely, sacrificially and cheerfully towards the work of your kingdom. May you cause the seeds that we sow to grow into well-watered, fruitful trees of life. Lord, bless us and keep us. Make your face shine upon us. Turn your face towards us and give us peace. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen.
sat in church waiting for prayer time, each one with his or her own thoughts and needs, each one reaching out. What are we going to do? I've just lost my job. What meagre savings we had have disappeared into the usual bills and needs for our family. I am embarrassed. I know I need some help, but I don't want to ask. I don't want people to know how hard this is. I don't know why the preacher keeps harping on about giving things to the food bank and sending clothes to charity shops. No one helped me when I was down. I was down. Let them pull themselves up by their own bootstraps, I say. It's everyone for themselves. My son asked me the other day what we could do to help people in need of food. I suggested we look at some of the food that we have and find ways to share it with others. We could do this through the food bank or through special meals for shut-ins. He wanted to get started straight away. Let's do it, he said, right now. And we did. We discovered how much stuff we had and we contacted the food bank to find out what they needed. We also went to the supermarket and got some of the items they had mentioned. What a great feeling. I love it when we can all help. And now my kids are enthusiastic about finding new ways to share the bounty we have. I'm so proud of them. I'm paralyzed by the tremendous needs. I just don't know where to start. I'm a good reader. Maybe I could help out at the school. Or maybe I could give some simple cooking lessons to folks who are struggling and want to do better nutritionally. I wish I had more direction. It all seems so overwhelming. What good is it, my brothers and sisters, if you say you have faith but do not have works? Can faith save you? If a brother or sister is naked and lacks daily food, and one of you says to them, go in peace, keep warm and eat your fill. And yet you do not supply their bodily needs. What good is that? So faith by itself, if it has no works, is dead. And they each bowed their heads in prayer, offering their thoughts and needs to God. And Christ, in great love and mercy, touched each heart. To one he gave a spirit of courage and hope, to one he poured out his healing compassion, to another he gave a spirit of joy and commitment, and to the last he gave direction and strength. To each of us Christ gives strength, peace, joy and love. Receive the good news of Jesus Christ and be healed. Amen.
Dear God, I know that the first step in all spiritual healing is to believe. I believe. I open my mind and heart believing in your infinite power and possibility. I believe that healing is a dynamic and reachable experience, a reality that can be experienced right now. I maintain a patient and loving attitude for I believe that your healing activity is now at work in my mind and body. I look forward with joyful expectation to the perfect wholeness that you are now bringing into manifestation through me. I believe in your constant expression of perfect good in and through me. I rest in the certainty of your healing power. I know that with you all things are possible. In Jesus Christ's name, Amen. Loving God, we pray for all who are bearing burdens, those facing difficulties and problems to which they can see no solutions, wrestling with inner fears and phobias with Delta variant numbers rising, racked by anxiety for themselves or for loved ones, troubled about money, health, work or relationships all who crave rest for their souls but cannot find it. We pray for them and ourselves, acknowledging that sometimes we too feel crushed under a weight of care. Speak to us in your still small voice and grant peace and quiet confidence as only you can bring and so many burdens be lifted and souls refreshed. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. Amen.
Feel the power of Christ's healing, love restoring you. Go in peace, offering help and hope to others. And we say together the grace. May the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with us all now and forevermore. Amen.